welcome to the Weirdly Specific Podcast. My name is Alyssa Meraki. Each week, myself and a guest come to the table with an item or experience to discuss, unpack, or digest. It could be good, it could be bad, but no matter what, it's bound to be Weirdly Specific. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Weirdly Specific Podcast. I'm Alyssa Meraki, and today my special guest is my friend Shay. Hey, Shay. Hello. Shay, do you want to tell us a little bit about you? Um, Yes. So I am 33. Whoa. I'm 33. Um, I am a dog mom of two. Uh, Currently, I am a mom to one biological daughter and one foster daughter. And soon this week will be one more foster son. These are human, human kids. <laughs> yes, human, human, live, breathing kids. One I pushed right. out of my my own vagina. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all we need to know about Shay. All right. <laughs> um, I met Alyssa through powerlifting and the wonders of Instagram. And um, we have been friends for a while now. Oh, God. Like three and a half, four years, something like that? Yeah. Um, that is crazy. And, uh, I currently live in Fresno and let's see what else. Um, I am the oldest of three girls. Um, I uh, consider myself a feminist, an ally to LGBTQ, um, the LGBTQ community. Um, I love makeup. I'm trying to like that's just like when I think of you, I'm like makeup and hair and fashion and you love like expressing. You're an awesome artist. Sorry, I'm just like talking about you, but <laughs> yes, I um do fluid art. So I do that on the side. I am currently an executive assistant to a senior pastor of a congregation of about eight, seven to eight hundred uh given the week. And um uh, I'm trying to think. I also run the youth program. So I work with my job is to work with sixth grade through 12th grade um, and just helping them find themselves and wherever Jesus fits in in that. And um, yeah, I'm single. I'm single. Hi. Hey. Hi. <laughs> hey. <laughs> this, is your, this is your dating profile. We're yes. the specific. <laughs> yes. Um, I am a single mom. I have been forever. My biological daughter is 11. So I have been a single mom for 11 years. Um, and yeah, that's me. Yeah. I mean, as you're talking, right, it's, it's very far reaching. I think the things that you end up finding yourself in, and that's always something that's really interested me about you is that, um, so I think the, one of the reasons I love you is because I feel similarly, like I, I want to have my hand in a bunch Mm -hmm. of things all the time. I want to learn so much about, you know, like the thing I'm going to talk about today, for example, it's something that I've recently become really interested in. And I, I don't know, I just, I wonder that about you, like, what is it about your far-reaching interests? Like you, it's, it always seems to me, at least, like you you pick up new things or you want to learn more about something that you haven't done before. Like, has that always been your thing? You think? Um. Yes and no. Um. I think um, a big part of my story is that I am just a survivor of childhood trauma and childhood abuse, and that kind of goes into what we're talking about. Um. But I think because of that trauma, um, I had a really hard time like figuring out what I liked and what I didn't like and who I was and and what like what kind of lit a fire underneath my ass. And um, so when I was younger, I was just trying things to kind of give me like the quote unquote high of feeling like I belonged or like that I um, had a place. And it kind of just transferred over now that as an adult and understanding myself and, and the way that my, uh, uh, just the way that I am is that, uh, if I find something interesting and I just want to try it or figure out like, how does it work or, or what it is? And then if I, if it holds my interest, then I'll continue pursuing it. 
Um, and if it doesn't, then I can be like, oh, I just tried it or, oh, I just researched that. Yeah, that's not cool. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, I guess actually it's different from what I had originally thought that I because my my guess my far reaching interests are because I'm like a sponge and I want to absorb everything. Mm-hmm. And I guess what you're saying then is maybe that but but also like, it was about finding something that really like made you feel like you belonged or made you feel like you um, had a place that was safe almost. And do, do you think that that desire in you has translated into you becoming a foster parent? Like you wanting to do that yeah. for other folks. Yeah. Yes. And uh, what's funny is that I didn't, I've always wanted to foster. I mean, I was married at one point in my life and that was in 2000, we got married in 2012, divorced in 2013. So in, even in that time frame, I still wanted to be a foster mom, but I had no idea why, like there was no, I was just like, it sounds like something that would be up my alley because I love people or I love helping people and uh, seeing like the fruits of that labor. But I think now that I've like started, I've like this whole journey into fostering has been very long and very crazy at the same time. And I started with like wanting to be a help or help people with uh that are survivors of sexual assault and going to the hospital and doing like SART exams with them in San Jose and that kind of made me feel like it yeah like it wasn't enough I don't think it was that I didn't feel like I belonged but it just didn't feel like it felt very like blah and Hmm. so then that kind of moved me back into fostering where it was like you know you like this will make kids like have a place and like make them feel loved. And that was something that I didn't have. And so it kind of like came full circle. You know, it's interesting too. I think a lot of the work that you've done has, and and since the time that I've known you has surrounded around um, wanting to help other people, like with, you know, um, strength cosmetics and the ways in which proceeds of that went to supporting, you know, um, victims of domestic violence and abuse, um, or survivors rather, we should say. Right. Um, and then, but, but also, right. I know that you helped and volunteered at the, why was it the YWCA? Yeah. In San Jose. Right. So like so much of the work that you've done, I think has like progressively gotten closer and closer to, um, advocating for these folks who maybe oftentimes don't have voices. And now like to see it like, okay, like now I want these people in my home. I want to, want to actually physically make them feel like they're safe and like they're wanted. And I just think that's so selfless of you. And it's, I think it's reflective a lot of like your own personal growth as a person too. Right. Like I know that powerlifting was like a massive part of your life for a long time. And like, how do you feel about sort of like fitness and powerlifting now? Um, it's just, it's funny. Cause somebody just asked me this question, like, Oh, have you been lifting? And my response was, bro, that's not my identity. And yeah. it's so funny because like, yeah, like the, that progression of just my life and my life trajectory, seeing like how I, um, powerlifting made me feel and fitness, like made me feel like I belonged because, I was good at it and I could lift heavy shit and Mm -hmm. it was so easy for me. But at the same time, like I lost myself in that identity and like getting lost in the fitness world and lost in like literally the crazy drama that happens like every day. And then like just becoming like so dragged down and like feeling so depressed and dark like that And then it wasn't fun for me anymore. It was more of just like a, okay, I'm going to kick everyone. Like I'm going to try and kick everyone's ass or like I'm going to try and outlift everyone or outwilks everyone. And then it just became this like constant, like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Yeah. It like, it goes the opposite direction, right? You go into it because it feels like, wow, there's this community of folks who, um, you know, are, are seeking after similar goals that I am. And then, you know, that competitive nature or, you know, and and maybe it's not even just you personally, but it's the, it's the environment that it, it fosters this competitiveness that then pits you against people, which you're like, this is not what I got into, you know, that's not what I signed up for. Yeah. And like that, that whole, yeah, that is just exactly how it felt. Like where I was like, this isn't, I got in this because I was strong and this was something that I liked to do. And so when I moved from Fresno to, or from San Jose to Fresno, 
it was just like, do I really need to lift? Is that something that I like makes me me? And it was like, mm, no, not really. And that was like the beginning of the realization of, oh my gosh, I could make this like this dream that I've had of helping kids in similar, if not worse spots than I am or than I, that I was in when I was a child. And so then it was like, okay, let's just open the home. Mm. It's, it's, I think it's really beautiful to hear you talk about the ways in which identity or a sense of belonging changes and shifts because once you buy into, and I think this, you know, in particular, this is my experience as well within the fitness industry or this small niche of the fitness industry is like, I felt like I outgrew it. And I don't mean that in a vain way, right? Like I mean it in like a, my, I, I, I like intellectually outgrew the vapidness and the obsession with my body and being lean and like muscle and like weight. I don't know. I, I think I just outgrew it. And then I felt shame and guilt and saying like, I, I, I worked so hard for this. I've spent years. I met my husband because of this. And now being like, yo, this is not good for my wellness. Like this is not good for my mental health anymore. Like, is that how you felt a little bit too? I think, I think I was still very much, well, not very much, but I was still like trying to figure out what my, like what my calling was or what, what I'm here for. And for me, like, I felt like lifting was an added stress because I felt like if I was going to lift, I had to do it the same way and had to just keep competing and it felt like I was just draining myself trying to like, like it didn't make me happy anymore. And I don't know if that's because of the drama or if that's because I found myself or if that is because I figured out like, that's not like, I'm not going to bring people to <clears throat> like bettering themselves, me, myself, like through fitness. That's not like. I'm never going like, and that, that was something that I had to f like come to terms with that I will never be like a person that touches so many lives with like my lifting. That's not like my life story is not about me lifting. <laughs> my life story is about like trauma and overcoming it and then how to like help others. And so it was just like, that's not my niche. Like that's not where I'm supposed to be. I, I like, that's beautiful. So I think what you're saying then is like, perhaps for a moment, there was this itch, or this, um, maybe this is the way that I impact the world. Maybe this, this is the space or the context through which I can reach people and then realizing actually, no, maybe it's not this and like letting go of mm -hmm. this space that you've invested time and effort. And because I feel similarly, and now I realize like, there's something that they say at Apple, like when you first get there, and this is like public knowledge, it's posted everywhere. So it's like, I'm, I'm not like sharing secrets or anything. But <laughs> they say, you know, there's work. And then there's your life's work. Mm -hmm. And there's this difference, I think, between identifying an interest and identifying a passion, even something you're very good at, because you are, you know, you are so strong, like squatting 400 <laughs> pounds, like, you know, it's like wild, the strength that you you know, have and probably, you know, you probably still do have, right. Mm -hmm. But um, like saying, you know, despite all that, this is not where I belong. And I feel like I had to do something similar. Like when I was, you know, at San Jose State, and I was teaching there saying, like, this is my calling, I thought I was going to be a teacher forever mm -hmm. and saying, like, ah, oh, maybe it's not like maybe education looks different for me. And that's really scary. Like, and you yeah. physically moved, you yeah. left a place that was comfortable and went to, you know, a place that you knew of, like, and that you had been before because of college, but you physically uprooted yourself and your daughter, right. To find yeah. something else. And do you think it was worthwhile then despite that painful experience? Oh, oh yeah. Like I, I have been lately the last like month or two, like thinking, wow, like I should have been here sooner. Like the way that my literally my life trajectory like I have mentioned earlier the way that my life trajectory from not even before like not even when I was living in San Jose again but when I was at Fresno State and like all of those 
contacts and networking that I had done when I was in college and then left and then came back has literally, it's literally like I should have, this is, this is literally should have been home like years and years ago. Wow. Wow. But I mean, to be fair, right. You went through probably incredible experiences and learning experiences and it's probably good to be like with your mom and your sisters. Right. But, Mm -hmm. but now it's time for you to, you know, be you. And and now you have this home that you've opened up to other young people. And I'm just so proud of you. I just love you. (laughs) Thanks. Of course. Okay. So I do want to hear your really specific thing. So, but did you come up like when you were thinking about what you wanted to bring today, did you consider anything else? Um, or was this like your immediate thing? (laughs) Well, this was like the first immediate thing, but then there was like, Oh, we could talk about like, LGBTQ in foster care, or we can talk about like, I don't even know, like background checks and how dumb they are for certain things and how ridiculously long they are for other things like foster care. Or <laughs> <laughs> like there's, there was a few things, but this was like the one that I was like, this needs the most like space and time. Yeah. I feel like, uh, especially in people like our age from like early to late 20s and early 30s um the topic is very like uh, I don't want to say taboo but I feel like it is kind of because nobody understands it unless they have been in it or they know somebody that was in it and like just how crazy the system is okay all right Shay so what is your weirdly specific thing we're gonna talk about foster care okay <laughs> so the only thing i know about foster care is um admittedly what i've seen on this is us (laughs) (laughs) dang it yes and i love that show but it is so it's i mean as much as it is very very real like feelings that you feel like that i have felt and watching that show understand like yes that's a great way to portray it to people that who will never be a part of the system it's still very glamorized and hollywoodish okay okay so like what weirdly specific parts because i know that foster care is like huge right Mm -hmm. but what things do you think like impact you most on a daily basis i mean as a foster parent um i think uh the number one thing is that there are people that think that call this my like a business (laughs) what what do you mean um because I know nothing about this. <laughs> I know. Um because like you get a stipend, right, from the state county um per kid. But people oh. people say like, oh your biz like your business, like I'm making money off of it. <laughs> oh no. Like I am not no. <laughs> I'm I like obviously this is a, a radio audio podcast, but my face right now is like aghast with like a mouth wide open. I guess I hadn't even really I, I guess I consider that you would get um like income to support. I didn't yes. I just didn't realize that it turns in I mean I guess I did. I guess people abuse this system, right? I'm not saying that yes. you do, right? Okay, but I'm sorry, I'm talking too much. Go ahead. Tell me well, all about it. <laughs> but so people people assume, right, that oh, okay, foster like foster parents are like those people that you see like in TV or like in movies or like hear about in the news that are like the extremes of parents who don't like foster parents who don't feed their the foster kids the same thing that their bio kids eat because they don't want to spend money on them. And there, yes, yes, there are people like that, but that is not like, this is not, I am not in, <laughs> there's no money in foster care. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's one of the, I guess, a common misconception, right? That like, you can make a living on being a foster parent or something like that, right? Yeah. Which is obscene and absurd. Okay. Um, (laughs) uh, That um, foster care is all about like all babies or that, you know, everybody is going to adopt a baby when in reality, the average uh, age for a kid in foster care is eight. So the likelihood of people getting babies is very, very slim. Wow. Okay. I guess I, you know, obviously I, I don't want to have kids of my own. This is a conversation Kyle and I've had a lot mm-hmm. of, and 
Um, we've always said, you know, if something happened, I changed my mind out of nowhere, right? Like <laughs> maybe I want a child now, like say it's 10 years from now. We've mm-hmm. always said that like we would want to foster or adopt a child that was like eight. Yes. Because like, I don't like babies. <laughs> I don't like I don't like toddlers. I, I, I like human beings that can have conversations with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that's like, that's so funny because uh, people it's very interesting how people assume like, Oh, well, I, it's a very like interesting topic to talk about because people will go into foster care saying like, I only want babies. And then when they get their certification and their license, they don't get a phone call immediately because you get a phone call when you get placement. Like when people, when CPS takes a child, they will basically spam out to every agency and every foster parent, like, Hey, we got this child. It's, you know, the, the child is whatever age, this is why we remove them from their home, like blah, 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 blah. So it's basically like the first person to say, yes, I want that child is the person that basically gets placed with them. Um, but people will like say, Oh, I only want ages zero to two. And then they're like devastated because they haven't gotten a phone call for placement in like a year. Mm, okay. Okay. So but, it's much more, uh, and, and in your experience, do you basically say like, I want a child anywhere from like six to 18? Is that, is that your preference or? No, my preference is zero to 18. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I will take any child. Yes. I will take any child. Um, well, no, that's not true. But and that's also another like thing that we can discuss is like how how the system works, like exactly like how often I get phone calls to get take kids and how do I say yes and how do I say no? Yeah. And that's like I know that no. One thing that I know from reading your blog is that um you made a decision because you have you know, your daughter, an 11 year old to not have multiple teenagers in the home in addition to your daughter. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, I think something that you learned over time. Right. But like, so we could talk about that, but also like, what does that sort of like that experience look like? Like you get a phone call and what happens? Yeah. So, well, here, I'll walk you through kind of fast, like how it happens. So how like the whole system happens. So either, um, also the reason why, like I'll preface this, the reason why a lot of, there's a lot more kids um, that are older is because um, teachers are mandated reporters and kids don't go to school until they're five-ish, four, five, right? So um, the likelihood of kids before being school age, being in the presence of a mandated reporter is very slim. So that is also why there's more older kids in foster care because there's a lot of them are reported by their teachers. That actually makes a lot of sense. Like, right. Because unless if it's maybe a family member, right. Mm -hmm. Like who Mm -hmm. would be calling CPS, you know, for a three-year-old. Right. Okay. All right. Go on. Um, So what happens is like uh, somebody calls in a report to whoever I mean it could be a social worker at a hospital which that also happens a lot like kids come in with broken arms and or broken bones and they've been broken a couple of times so they'll call they'll call CPS uh same thing with teachers like teachers see blah 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 and they'll call neighbors blah any anyone can call on a parent and then what happens is CPS intakes that call and they right on the spot decide whether or not it is like urgent and they need to go and remove kid now or if they can do a small investigation which usually takes a couple like a day or two maybe not even that long um and this also goes into why uh cps all over is um just boggled down because there's so many in calls intake calls but there's only so many employees so then you they go through the investigation and they decide to remove the kid um, or kids. They will either go to school or they will go to the home and remove them. And then they take them to the office. And basically when they get to the office, they do that spam, like email, phone call, like phone tree. Hey, I have this kid. 
who can like who can take them and then you basically get a phone call from either your foster care agency or the county that says hey we have this kid can you take them and they basically just give a list of like everything that is that they found in their report and why they take took them away and then you get to decide if that is something that you would want to do um, or if you wouldn't. And then you basically say, sure, and you kind of wait. Mm, it could be like five minutes. It could be like two hours um, for the county to call you and say, hey, we're on our way. And okay. then once you get that phone call, it's like utter <laughs> chicken with its head cut off, like running around trying to find everything for that kid. Um, and then once they are placed into your house, you basically, hey, hi, nice to meet you. Welcome to my house. And then you give them like your house rules tour or house rules. I like read them off my house rules and ask them if they have any questions or anything is horrible on there. And then you kind of like within the first 30 days, you have to take them to the dentist, the eye doctor, the actual doctor and any other specialists that they need. Um, and then supposedly within the first 30 days, um, they take each child for a mental health assessment. Um, however, because again, so many intake and not enough employees, they uh, have been taking longer. And that's kind of it. And then you kind of go to, well, you go to court and you kind of find out what's going on. Um, and you, the kid can be there for four days, they can be there for a month, and they can be there for six months, or they can be there for for years. Wow. And so that is something that I'm, in, I'm interested about, right, which is a couple things, right? So mm -hmm. I guess in general, and this is something that you see, and this is us as well, right, or something mm -hmm. that I've heard is um, folks would or at least social workers and, you know, the system itself prefers for a child to be with their parent, right? Like mm -hmm. that the ideal space, right? So what would deem, I guess, a parent to be, you know, unfit to have their child? And then what would then give them license to have their child back in their home, say, after a week or so of being away from the home? Like, what does that kind of dynamic look like? There, I mean, there's a wide variety of things that a child can be removed from their home from um, anywhere from like abuse or allegations. I mean, and a lot of uh, there are allegations obviously, and sometimes they feel like it is necessary to remove the child, but they also want to do invest investigation after the child is removed. And then when they find out like, Oh, it was unfounded or it wasn't as severe or like it was a spanking instead of a beating, like, then they'll be like, okay, parent is okay. They can take them back. But that's very, very few and far in between. But um, in California, about 80, like 80% 80 of kids are removed from their home um, because of neglect. So um, what? Yeah. I thought you were about to tell me, like say like drug, like drug mm -hmm. issues. And maybe it's compounded well, with that. that. That is very, I mean, that's very much most likely tied into the neglect into right the neglect but it it's i mean it's kind of anything you you know you can have a mental like somebody that is mentally ill and not taking care of themselves and they leave their child you know they leave their child like they leave their child for days or they leave their child for hours and like neighbors call or whatever or um parent is a drug addict and like is not obviously not taking care of themselves and then also cannot take care of their child and somebody calls um and also neglect goes into um parents that know about like any kind of abuse and then fail to like like say dad is abusing child and mom knows about it and doesn't do anything they would also remove like they can also say that's neglect on the mom's part or like failure to protect or failure. I can't even remember what the, the phrase is, but it, it, that's also in the neglect category. Wow. 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 I mean, this is something that I, I guess I'd have to have a conversation with Kyle about. And Kyle is, you know, like fairly open about he was he was adopted by his mm -hmm. aunt and uncle when he was 15. Um, he was taken out of his home. His mm -hmm. father was in jail and in prison, actually. Um, and then his 
mother and his sister, his sister was, I guess she was 18. She must've been 18. Um, they got into an argument, um, and they stabbed one another, Mm -hmm. his mom and his sister, and they were both taken away. So Kyle's aunt and uncle came to Fresno. (laughs) Um, I mean, but to Sanger, right. Mm -hmm. I guess is where he was living and took him Mm -hmm. and said like, your father's in prison, your mom and your sister are going to prison. They're both alcoholics and drug addicts and you're not going back. And mm-hmm. they took him. Um, and, but, but, you know, in stories that Kyle tells, um, he essentially says, you know, like he basically took care of himself for, mm-hmm. for years, you know, and he ended up getting suspended from high school because he didn't go to school for 30 days in a row because mm-hmm. he hung at home with his mom who was like, on speed right like mm-hmm. and it's just wild to me like I guess I don't know if people called CPS on him or what but like you know I I guess Kyle was really really lucky to have a family member or you know a family mm-hmm. that was stable and that took him and like mm-hmm. they were there right so I mean that that it just you know leads me to then to my question which is like how often in foster care is a child then taken into like you know a family member's home versus being given back to their parent like I guess my my first inclination is that like, you know, they'd want to keep that child with family, but I guess that's really hard. And especially like in, you know, underprivileged communities where, mm-hmm. you know, there is no support even within the family. Like, has that happened in your experience where a child maybe doesn't go back to their parent, but goes back to like their grandparent or. Yeah. Um, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. So given like the divorce rate right now in just in general, right. Mm-hmm. That um, sometimes one parent has custody and the other parent has like visitation or in some cases there's even like uh, one parent lost like literally lost rights to their child because they were a drug addict or they were like neglectful and the other parent has them and then other parent is also not a very good parent so then like um child's like child services will go and go back to the parent other parent that had lost rights and said hey like we see this is on your track record like what have you done in the last however many years since you lost your child like what have you done to better yourself and like where are you living and then they'll like kind of vet them um so there's like those are two very very like often scenarios especially in foster care because most like like a lot of the times the kids have not been or have been in foster care before it's not uh I don't even know what this the numbers are for that but like it's very I feel like it's close to 50 50 where 50 percent have not been in care before and 50 percent have been but don't quote me on that because I have no idea um in my like in my experience it's about that so you'll have kids that are going like back home and parents are still not stable and then they'll come back into care and then maybe grandma or grandpa or aunt and uncle like want to take them. But then when they take them, they decide like that's way too much. Like they can't handle that child. And then the child goes back into foster care and then they go to a foster parent or then they go into a group home depending on their age. Um, and so it's just kind of like a back and forth. Um, the two girls that I had, that I've already had and have left. Um, one of them, I would be very, I would be very surprised if she was not back or if she didn't never came back into care. And the other one, I am very like iffy if she'll come back into care, like she could, she couldn't, I don't know. Hmm. Well, I mean, and I guess that leads me then to my, my next set of questions, right. Which is about, like the actual child themselves, right? So mm-hmm. you see representations of foster care, like in This Is Us and like in television, like in, I don't know, Orphan mm-hmm. Annie. Like, <laughs> you know, you see representations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, what sorts of, I guess, things have you learned about interacting with kids that are new coming to your house? Um, and then also like, if someone is out there, right, like listening and is thinking like, hey, you know, maybe I'd want to be a foster parent, like, what would be like advice you would give them in terms of here's what it's actually like, you know, mm-hmm. you might you have this idea. And like, how cool would this be, right? AKA me, like, yeah, this might be a cool thing for me to do someday. <laughs> but like, here's the reality, right? And that might be really good, or it might be not as good, right? So I guess the first one is about like, 
what you have experienced in terms of interacting with kids that come to your home. And the second is like piece of advice that pieces of advice that you could give. Um, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just hard hitting questions. Yo. I know. Um, I think for me, I mean, because I was coming into this, literally the, the person that I was preaching about earlier about how I wanted a baby or I wanted a toddler or I wanted, because I, I loved Kennedy at those ages. Like I loved her at two, like I loved her at nine months and I loved her at two years. And then I loved her at five. And so I was like, to Ooh. be fair, Kennedy is way <laughs> older than like any other, like 11, like when I met Kennedy, She's basically an 18-year-old, to be fair. She's like, yeah. once she started talking, she that girl has a mouth, like, in a good way, right? But, okay, anyways, all right, go on, go ahead. So I, like, and and I figured, like, and when I went into this, I told our social worker, like, zero to eight, no more than, like, I don't want them older than eight. And it was actually Kennedy who, in her, because during the process, you have to have a psycho called a psych psycho psych i can't even think psychiatric social i can't remember it's psych and social back like background interviews so basically they take your whole life and they basically tear it up and ask you like do you have harbor any resentment towards like this situation in your life do you harbor any resentment towards that person like like they literally it was like triggering over and over again for a month but so they they have to sit down with everybody that lives in the house and that includes anybody over or under 18 so Kennedy was interviewed and in her interview she was asked like what ages do you think would be great for your house and she said any age and my social worker kind of looked at me like really you said zero to eight and my reasoning was that I was worried about Kennedy like I didn't want her to feel there's this um there's this theory that you shouldn't go, you shouldn't foster out of birth order because that makes um, your kids feel like they're still in control of their house. And so I was going with that theory. However, that doesn't always apply to everyone. And Kennedy kind of blew it out of the water and was just like, okay, like I'm cool with whoever. And my social worker was like, okay, you were kidding or like, what's your deal to me? <laughs> And I was like, I mean, I guess we'll take teens. Like, I'm scared. But it has been like the most humbling and most eye opening, like situation of bringing teens into my home that I could even possibly imagine. And it is it, it's been great because like, you know, you hear about like how horrible kids are in foster care, or like how they're the ones that are just like the mean ones or the rude ones or like, and I have been blessed to not have any of those kinds of kids in my home because I just feel like I, I feel like that's a misrepresentation of them. Um, huh. And maybe it's because I am very trauma informed and I have had so much trauma training and just like research and everything that I understand like how that looks and like what to look for, but they also do trauma training for foster parents. So I'm like, I feel like that's sufficient enough, but at the same time, maybe, maybe it's just different because I've been in the thick of that for so long that I kind of just, I just open, like, I'm just open to everything. And, um, yeah. And it's very interesting because I've had a mix of, um, I mean, I've only had girls so far. Right. Um, yeah. And so what are their, like, when they come in, right? Like, what is like the kind of interaction that you have with them? What, you know, what, what ways do they act, right? Are they quiet? Are they talkative? Are they excited? Are they, you know? Yeah, I have, I mean, I literally have the spectrum. I have the, I had one of my foster daughters was silent, literally silent for days, the first couple of days. Um, wow. because she, that's just the way that she coped. Um, I think the first two days that I had her here, she maybe said a couple of words. I don't, I don't even think I yeah I she was she never spoke the first two days however she was the sweetest like people would come up because of where I work I work at a church and the church I am very I am all over the place at church because that's literally my it's job just you, but it's also you you're a very <laughs> yes. outgoing gregarious person. yes and so 
I was very worried when I brought her to church because I was like, great, like, you know, people know that I'm a foster parent. So and they knew they knew how I had gotten my license. So it's going to be very obvious that she's my foster child. And I was very worried about it. And she didn't speak to them, but she shook their hands and smiled. And like, and it was just so crazy to me that she still refused to speak because she was so in so much shock but also that she was still so polite and so like well behaved that it was just like okay that's interesting um yeah okay and then I had another girl who came into my home and she didn't like a quiet moment like anytime there was a little itty bitty tiny like tin hinge of like any kind of silence, she would start talking about whatever. And like, for me, that was like something that I had to adjust to, because I was like, Oh, my gosh, I cannot even think. And but it was it was just because of whatever her trauma was at that, like, when she was younger, she there, it was obviously tied to silence. And so she felt like she couldn't leave it silent. Otherwise, she would start freaking out. And then I had another girl who come who has come into my home, and she is just like, it's like she fits here. Like this is where she's supposed to be. And so it's so funny, like just the ebb and flow of like how their personalities are and like how they have fit in so well in my home. Because even the silent one, after she came out of her shell a little bit, we sat and talked for three hours and like had the best conversation and just like talked about her life. And so it was just like this crazy roller coaster. And then like two days later, after that three hour conversation, she went, she went home. Wow. Wow. So, so then, you know, obviously you've gone through like such a spectrum of experience. I know, obviously you've got to do a lot of self-care to, Mm -hmm. you know, give yourself the space and time to process and to absorb, you know, what you're going through, because this is not without, you know, emotional investment as well. So I guess like that's the, my second question, right? Like what advice would you give to people? Like, especially in regards to attachment and to Mm -hmm. trying to fix these kids, right? Like, I I guess maybe that's a natural tendency Mm -hmm. for someone who like wants to love on people. Right. So I guess what advice would you give to people in terms of attachment and those interactions? Um, I will also say, I want to say before like talking about kids coming into your home, you also like, you hear you'll hear everyone's story like so anytime you get a call for a placement you literally hear their story so for me that was something that I had to stop and like like um basically having vicarious trauma because of all of the stories that I was hearing and like how like how much my like heart and soul hurt for them that it was very interesting like once I figured out like um I need to like chill I need to chill on these stories because it was causing me to just like be so down and like like hating the world like these are the people that live or like in my community around me and these are like the kids that are in my like area like my surrounding area maybe not even like 10 miles radius so for me like that was something that I had to like I guess meditate more and like reflect more on like how these kids I can't I can't save everyone or I can't help everyone because that's not like the system was not designed for that that's the system was designed kind of for kids to just be in a temporary home to just go back to their original home like it that's you can't you're not going to be able to save everyone and I think that was probably the best advice that I was given later um after I had taken two teen girls in and at the same time and somebody was like you need to chill (laughs) you you can't say yes to everyone I was like I haven't said yes to everyone and they're like okay yes but you've said yes when you felt like you shouldn't okay okay so it's about like recognizing like, even if you don't want to, sometimes you have to say no, because it's what's best for your household. It's what's best mm-hmm. for your bio kid. It's what's best for your own wellness, right? As mm-hmm. a foster parent. Yeah. And it's hard. Like, it's hard if you're in, I think if you're in foster care for the correct reasons, then it's hard for you to say no, because you see, like, you hear their story and you hear 
I like the extremes that I have heard about how kids are being treated. Uh, literally like today I was in church and I, it was like a lot, it was a long day. Every Sunday is a long day, but I love it. But at the same time, like during worship, during music, I literally just had a breakdown because I was just thinking of literally like all of the kids, like every single phone call. And sometimes that happens where like, I will just get re like replay all of the calls that I get and it kind of, and it overwhelms me because I'm like, how, how are we supposed to make this stop? Or like, how are we supposed to help? Or where am I supposed to be? I felt like I am not like, I'm only one person. I can't do everything all at, all at once. And you have to accept that. Like that is something that is going to be very hard for somebody to accept if they go into this for the right reasons. But you have to, like, otherwise you will literally just be bawling your eyes out all day, every day. Right, right. So it's like you have to be careful about the degree of empathy, right? Because Mm -hmm. you literally cannot become so wrapped up in trying to take everything on that -hmm. you forget, like, you are just one person. And so maybe the best thing you can do is to be the best foster parent you can be to the child you have, right? Yeah. And people don't realize also like foster care is a lot about appointments. Like, I mean, the first 30 days, like I said, is like all the doctor appointments and all the follow-up doctor appointments and all the dentist appointments and all the follow-up dentist appointments and all like everything is like an appointment. And then you also have visitation. So you're literally carding like if you're carting kids around and so that's also like just that bandwidth of like how like how much in the car can you be and like how how many appointments can you stack on top of each other before you go insane like you have to figure that out too and like my drive time I'm in the car I'm probably I'm trying to think I'm in the car for about an hour and a half two hours a day on every any given day just based off of like appointments and like driving driving one of my foster daughters to school because she they stay in their original school unless there's a safety issue so she she is about 15 minutes 20 minutes away depending on traffic it's not like horrific traffic it's not bay area traffic but it's still traffic And then, you know, dropping my bio daughter off at school and then driving all the way across. Like, it's just so crazy to me. I never realized how much I would be in the car. And so that's also a thing. Like, if you have multiple kids in your home, they all have their own appointments. So you also have to think about like that, like logistics wise and schedule wise, like, how do you do it? Right, right. It's like logistics and a lot of admin work, right? Yeah, so it's a good yeah. thing that you, like you're an executive assistant, and you know how to plan schedules and, and iCALs, right? It's funny yep. when we were scheduling our time together, normally I send an iCAL <laughs> and you sent me one before I could even send you one. <laughs> I was like, of course, of course. <laughs> Oops. So good. It's so good. Well, I know that we probably have to shift, right? But I think what what's like anything else that you would want to leave us with? Like something where you're like, okay, if I want anyone to understand anything about foster care or like remember one thing from this podcast, what would it be? Um, a lot of the times when I tell people that I foster, their response is always, oh, I could never do that. I'd get too attached. Mm-hmm. And I think like there are times where I won't, I have to like sit on my hands so I don't slap them. But at the same time, like coming from the other angle, like these kids have been shown that they are like, they have been told that they're worthless and they have been shown like the extreme of what love shouldn't be. And they have been like left some literally left in gutters, others like just thrown away. And if you're, if they're in your home for a short amount of time, really your attachment like you and your attachment issues should not be in comparison to how much they need any kind of attachment and any kind of love and genuine love and genuine attachment and how like you worrying about your feelings is not like in the bigger picture of things like that is not a big thing like they deserve so much like 
if I could just buy literally all the Toys R Uses and give it right. to them and make them happy, like just for like that one little like glimmer of moment of time, like that is way like fuck your attachment issues. <laughs> wow. Wow. I, I, I love that so much. Like that in the end, you know, that kind of mentality is the exact person who, you know, like needs to examine selflessness versus selfishness, right? Like, it's like, Mm -hmm. I would get too attached. It's like, okay, but like, think about what the child needs, right? Because if you are getting into fostering for the right reasons, it's about that child and not about you, Mm -hmm. even though like, not to say that you should be taking care of yourself, right? But I just think that's beautiful. Like, thank you, you know, for the work that you do and the emotional labor that it must be in trying to unpack, you know, your own thoughts Mm -hmm. and feelings alongside that. And you know, and also thanks to Kennedy. I know that we didn't get a chance to talk about her and her experiences. I'm sure it'll be a whole other podcast. Maybe oh, yeah. on our, we'll bring you back, you know, in a couple of months and you can talk about it. You're like, I stopped altogether. I hate it. And I'm just <laughs> I hope not. Um, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Well, um, in the last few minutes that we have, shall I tell you about my weirdly specific thing? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. All right. So this is a good thing that I brought this week. Um, and it's something that I've recently gotten like really interested in and like for no reason I have like no desire to go out and do this or whatever and I think it started a few months ago when I watched um uh a sort of like like a British reality show so you're familiar with um the great British bake-off right yes but I've, I've literally only watched maybe like two minutes of it okay okay so well great British bake-off is like a really wholesome reality show about cooking. But there's another show and it's called The Great Pottery Throwdown. Oh my god, my mom needs and, to be on this. <laughs> <laughs> and it is identical to Great British Bake Off, just with like different hosts and stuff, but like the same thing but with pottery. My and there's people and ceramics i should say ceramics which is like the all-encompassing term just so you know so you like here's some vocab for you like pottery is you know with like clay but ceramics can be bigger than that right yeah yeah Mm -hmm. okay so my weirdly specific thing is the mesmerizing spin of a potter's wheel dude Dude, can i tell you oh my god yes okay so my mom my mom has been a potter what do i I, i've been calling her a potist and she's like that is not that is not that's not (laughs) the name yeah potter potter. she's a potter um but she has been doing pottery for mm, i don't know maybe 20 years maybe a little bit less but still somewhere around that avenue of time and i have only thrown once which is what they call it when you put the right. potter, like put the clay Shay, you're taking all my terms okay, <laughs> but I've only thrown once and I will tell you that it was a da- disaster and I was like why isn't it so like why isn't it pretty like I see you make like when it's spinning like why does it look like a lob of crap on the th- yeah. on the wheel yes yes I like now I'm just gonna go to your mom's house like I, I know. know where you live so <laughs> um you should no, you should yeah. go watch her seriously I have and so it's weird because my sister does ceramics um and she has a wheel yeah um so in in any case though so okay it's the mesmerizing spin of a of a potter's wheel right it's it's very very soothing first and Mm -hmm. foremost right like Mm -hmm. I love things like that that are soothing they're very like oddly satisfying right but so I like I said it started with the great pottery throwdown which is this competition it's very very wholesome and they you know have different competitions where they have to throw as many say bowls as they can within 60 (laughs) minutes or something right like but then they also have like a showstopper challenge where they have to um you know like hand form like they can't like they can't um they have to take clay right but then they have to there's a term for it i can't remember it now it's um (laughs) um uh crap uh they don't spin it right they don't like throw it like Um, and and and, and, and it's called something but it's like yeah like it's like it's it's like (laughs) (laughs) you don't come to me but it's like they have to hand form right like they do this massive like sculpture of some head or something right like anyways so it really got me interested in like the actual technique of it because they Mm -hmm. show you like one of the judges shows you this beautiful technique of like 
lipping things and mm-hmm. bottlenecking things and the ways in which you press down on the clay to make it wider and like you put your hand on the inside to like you know pull the clay upwards and it's just honestly it's it's very seductive and sexual to watch <laughs> it right um but but simultaneously okay, right it just <laughs> okay ghost right but it just takes so much technique and effort mm-hmm. and like and also like determination and persistence right because it's hard like if i've tried it it's yeah, awful it like ceramics is so hard it's so and it's really so frustrated <laughs> but let me tell you and the and the listeners right so there is this guy and his name is eric landon um eric e-r-i-c and then landon l-a-n-d-o-n and mm-hmm. he's like a master ceramics guy like a master potter um he's american but he actually lives in denmark and he runs this uh, house, like it's like a, a ceramic house called the Tortoise Copenhagen. Um, it's T-O-R-T-U-S. And that's actually his Instagram name. It's just Tortoise, T-O-R-T-U-S. Um, and actually currently right now, and look, I literally know his whole life story, right? Because I'm obsessed. He's, he's touring Australia right now with his apprentice and they're running all these classes. I, I, it's like as if I know them. I don't know them. I yes. just like religiously stalk him and watch all of his pottery throwing. And he does like live IGs as well. And here's me in there like, oh my gosh, what beautiful technique. I know nothing about <laughs> pottery. And I'm in there pretending I'm some artist. Like, I don't know. Anyways. So, um, but there's so many things to learn about clay because it's an ancient art form, right? Mm -hmm. Like they've got like slip, slip is like a mixture of clay and water together. Right. Mm And, um, I don't know if you know, but once, if you fire, um, your ceramic Mm -hmm. for the first time, it's called bisque. Um, and then that's it's ready for glazing and so there's like all these different steps and stages and there's like this this technique where you throw paint at it and like the way that it sits like that's that's a a form um and so honestly I have grown increasingly obsessed and I start to follow now I'm not even joking Shay like I am following potters on Instagram um I have start like I am a I I don't know what's going on with me I am obsessed now with this Japanese ceramics artist and his name is June Kaneko it's J-U-N and then Kaneko which is K-A-K-A-N-E-K-O I think it is anyways He's American, like he lives in America, he lives in Nebraska or something, and he's currently showing at some Ohio Museum of Art or whatever, but his stuff is unbelievable, and I swear, I know nothing about pottery, and here I am, like, yes, what beautiful artwork, like, liking all this stuff on Instagram, I have this, like, secret life, I haven't even told Kyle this, he doesn't even know this, this is the first time saying this out loud, and I don't know what it is, like, pottery freak. (laughs) seriously seriously and I like again I've I've never I've, I've thrown one time I've never taken a ceramics class or a pottery class but like now my sister my sister has a wheel and I'm like I'm gonna go home to go see my family in a month and I swear to god I'm gonna go and throw I know again I know nothing about it but I'm gonna go and try so that's yes. my really specific thing oh my mom said it's slabbing or hand building okay um, maybe I should just go see your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Knock on her door. Yeah, dude, she got this wheel for Christmas two years ago, and she like all she. I mean, all she did was pottery before, but now really all she does is pottery. And she like got a job. She's been at this job for like a year or two now, where her job is to make pottery. So it's just so funny. Like, dude, pottery is so cool. And like when they when it's spinning on the wheel and they take like something. And they like indent in it in it while it's moving. That is like the craziest yes. thing to me. I'm like, dude, how did they do that? And I'll always call my mom and be like, Mom, <laughs> Mom, how do Lillian. you? Lillian. Yes. <laughs> so tell Lillian I'm coming to see her, and she's gonna give me an introductory pottery class, so that I can actually feel like I know a little something. I, I, it's just beautiful. Again, it's it's something I know nothing about. And I literally want to sponge it up. 
sponge it up like how they use sponges. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's weird too because there's this cleanser, um, this skin cleanser from this brand called Sunday Riley, and it's called mm. Ceramic Slip. And I literally oh bought it goodness. simply because it had pottery terms. Oh, I should have yeah. never bought it because like it made my face break out. And like, yeah. <laughs> anyways, so there's my thing. But yeah, so this has been a very interesting conversation. You had a very serious like. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I guess mine fits in, right? Because we're talking about like molding and shaping people, and symbolism. Right here we go. Here we go. All right, Shay. So, if folks want to find out more about you, they want to be friends with you, they want to learn more about you know fostering. Like, where can they find you? I know that you write a blog, and you've got your Instagram. Yes. So I have a blog. It's called For Whatever Season. Um, it's really a WordPress. <laughs> blog so all you really have to do is just search word we'll put like, it into the description <laughs> we'll put it into the description we'll yes um and I also update like I if you want like real time uh, real time like updates from me a lot of the times like in my stories on Instagram which is shay.baby um I usually put stuff in there and a lot of the times when I get new kids in I will post about it um and everything is kind of just there um kind of just to see like what a daily like a life a day in my life is I guess yeah yeah and you can see pictures of puppies as well <laughs> with big old ears oh my gosh yeah and a big old scar oh my god well thank you so much for talking to me this is such a good conversation I really appreciate you and folks if you again want to learn more about Shay you can go and check out the links that are in the description and until next time we'll talk to you later bye <laughs>